0: Welcome to Dialogue on Divorce. I'm Katherine Miller, the founder of the Miller Law Group and director at the Center for Understanding in Conflict, and I am on a mission to change how people divorce and help them divorce with dignity. And my guest today is actually a repeat guest, Nancy Collier. Nancy is a psychotherapist in private practice, an ordained interfaith minister, a mindfulness teacher, relationship coach, author, and blogger. In addition to offering workshops and ongoing groups, Nancy is a regular blogger for Huffington Post and Psychology Today. Nancy also spent 20 years as a top-level equestrian showing horses on the National Horse Show Circuit, and she offers workshops, talks, meditation instruction, as well as individual and couples therapy. Welcome, Nancy.
1: Thank you for having me. Glad
0: to be back. It's great to have you. And today, you're also the author of the book, The Power of Off right? And that's about technology and relationships. And so why don't you tell us a little bit about the book, the theory, and maybe we can talk about how it impacts people in their everyday lives.
1: Sure. And the book is about how we're living, how we're living in relationship, how we're living with ourselves, how we're living at work as parents, essentially how we're living everywhere. And How this relationship with technology is, in some ways, incredible and exciting, but also how it's not supporting what actually contributes to a good life, so that while everything in our lives is changing so rapidly and the way we live is changing so rapidly, what we actually need to feel well to feel connected, to feel purpose, to feel some of the bigger things that really we call a good life, that we're looking to technology to fulfill those. And it's really the wrong, it's like trying to open a lock, you know, with a banana. It's the wrong tool if what we want is a good life. So the book is a lot about how do we get our relationship with technology back into a place of awareness, back into a place of where, you know, the scientist has the rat in the cage, where we're using it as a tool to benefit us, and we're not running around like frantic monkeys, drunk frantic monkeys behind it with it telling us what to do. And one of the big ways that, you know, I see very often in my practice now is one of the reasons that I wrote the book, is that it's dramatically impacting the family and it's dramatically impacting intimate relationships of all kind. I think we spoke the last time I was on about how it's impacting our relationship with ourselves, which is our primary intimate relationship, but it is certainly impacting everything about intimacy with other people
0: it seems to me in my own experience, so I, I could be wrong about this, but it seems like there are two pieces. One is the ability to access social relationship through Facebook or Instagram or even LinkedIn or any one of those kind of social media platforms. And then there's also kind of the the jolt we get in our brain, you know, every time, ding, you know, you have a text or an email or something like that. And the kind of that sort of obsession or compulsion maybe to to check all the time do I have a new message do I have a new message yes. and how yes. these are two things are seem related because they both come through on the same device you know possibly right. but but they seem they feel a little bit different to me is that right
1: they are different and related as you rightfully said and um, you know part of what makes it so complicated and part of what makes it so difficult is that there is this Yummy part of social media, which is we stay in touch with people that, you know, we wouldn't probably stay in touch with. And there is that element of connective tissue that social media allows. The difficulty is that technology is one of these devices that technology is not doing anything to us. Technology is bringing out some of the least evolved aspects of the human being, I would say. And you know, one of the reasons again that I wrote the book was to return our use of technology to the more evolved parts of ourselves, more grown up parts of ourselves. But what happens with this desire to connect and this desire to be more related and more, have more people in our lives is that we start doing things that distort it. Like we start comparing ourselves constantly. To what everyone else is doing, ninety-five percent of which is made up on their end. Or we start using social media and the like to create a kind of image or brand for ourselves, which then we have to hold up. Or we start excessively kind of posting things about ourselves, such that it creates a kind of narcissism, where we start to believe that everything that we're posting is tremendously important to everyone else that, you know, we're taking this trip or we're having this latte or whatever it is, that it brings out these aspects of people that are not in our best interest and don't lead to a state of well-being. So there's that piece. And then there's the purely addictive piece, as you were describing there, where we know that when we get these things, we get these notifications that we're getting a real strong hit of dopamine this feel-good hormone, and then that sets off a reward cycle where we want more of that. We want more, but very soon after it starts up that reward cycle, we start getting what's the other side of it, which is we get this hit of cortisol because now we're responding to the device, right, because we need to know we're afraid that we're going to miss something It's FOMO. You know, we're going to miss something if we don't get on. So what starts out as a really good feeling starts delivering cortisol, the fight or flight hormone, stress hormone, all those sorts of things, because now we need to, we need to calm that anxiety that what's on there, we've got to get to that. And we'll get caught in this loop of the dopamine to the cortisol to the dopamine. And the only way we know how to calm the anxiety of what am I missing is with more using. So... You know, we've gotten ourselves a little bit into a difficult relationship with technology. But again, it's just showing us what our less evolved aspects are. From the time that, you know, man ended up uh, walking on two legs and probably before he's been trying to... Get out of the present moment. He's been trying to distract himself from what's happening here. And this device is just a, you know, free reign to be able to do that with everybody's approval. We're all in on this one, you know, we're all, we've all drunk the Kool-Aid on this. So it's bringing out these addictive and uh, distractive and lesser, I would say, aspects of the human being.
0: Well, I'm not sure we've all drunk the Kool-Aid with regard to other people. So, yes, we have we say, oh, yeah, well, we're checking Facebook or we're checking our mail or our text or whatever. But I find it really annoying when I'm out to dinner, <laughs> you know, with my spouse yeah. or my family or my kids. And, you know, everybody's on their cell phone, you know, checking, checking, checking. And I mean, yeah. listen, I, of course, i not free of guilt <laughs> from doing the I same thing. Cake? And even I when I record these shows, you know, I either leave my phone in the car, or I put it where I can't see it. So I'm not tempted to check, you know, while I'm interviewing. The draw is like, oh, is there something there? Is there something there? But I really find it annoying. And I don't think I'm alone when I'm sitting with someone and they're like checking their phone all the time.
1: Well, there's actually a term for it now. It's called subbing because it's phone snubbing. And there's all sorts of stuff now being written about it. The last study that I read said 75% of people say that the phone is seriously impacting their relationship. That is startling. And what you have is, you know, I was recently working with a couple and their favorite thing to do together, according to the man, was to spend time sitting next to each other with each of them in their own private bubble in their own screen that that's their favorite way to be together and what we're finding more and more is that the reporting of intimate relationships the reporting of uh connections between people that these statistics are plummeting that people do not feel connected very much because the person in front of them is using and What's really interesting to me is that when you start being the light in the darkness and you turn off your phone and you put it away when you're actually, amazingly, put it in your bag off and have a conversation where you're saying to the person, your company is enough. You're enough for me. I'm not looking to see what else, what else, what's next coming in. What happens is that the other person usually responds in kind that we all want to be the pure focus of another human being's attention. That's what love looks like. And so when you model that and even ask your friend, you know, I'm going to go ahead and put my device away. If you're not okay with doing that, maybe we should get together, take a walk another time. It's amazing the reports I get back, which is people are dying for that kind of truth and that kind of honesty. It's a real thing, though, that's happening in relationship. And I had one woman who said in here, and I thought it was sort of chilling, but she said, you know, the truth is, I find my phone more interesting than my husband. That's the truth.
0: Oh, my God. It probably is the truth.
1: It is the truth. And I think it's the truth, Catherine, for more people than are willing to admit it. Because guess what? People are not always fascinating and not always filled with new information and entertainment. We're human beings. Sometimes we're tired. Sometimes we're boring. Sometimes we don't have it going on. And what's happening is that we're starting to expect from our relationships the same thing that we expect from technology, from artificial intelligence, from that we should always be getting something fabulous, It should always stimulate us. And so what's happening is that when people are used to that level of stimulation, they go back into their relationship and it feels like a bummer. It feels like, you know, what do you got? What do you got? What do you got for me? Well, I can be on my phone. So let me do that. The expectations for relationship are changing based on something that has nothing to do with it. We're also expecting it to be easy all the time. You know, relationships are the last, probably, I would never put the word easy in, in the same universe as the word relationship or close relationship. And yet, because on technology, everything comes easily and quickly and there's immediacy, we're starting to, again, you know, bleed those expectations over to our relationship. So when it gets hard, when it gets challenging, you know, hey, I can go over here and interact on technology. It's a lot easier. So what that it's not a human being? That's becoming not that important.
0: You're listening to Dialogue on Divorce on WVOX 1460 AM. We're here every other Wednesday from 5 to 530. Or it's also possible that you're listening on our podcast, which is available on my website, www.westchesterfamilylaw.com, as well as on iTunes and SoundClouds. And today, our guest is Nancy Collier, and we're talking about the impact of relationship on technology, or really technology on relationships. And Nancy... I think that the, the actually, the phone was bad enough, but the watch, oh my goodness, like you could put your, <laughs> like every time, you know, you you actually get a physical feeling like on your wrist, Whoop! you know, you know, like someone's like yank, literally yanking your chain, Yeah, you, yeah. you know. And
1: that's why there's so many anxiety disorders. You should see the numbers on anxiety disorders. You know, they've Well, you know, we're getting buzz every six seconds. Why do you think? Of course. And why would you? What's that? Why would you want every email, every notification coming in so that you can never fully land where you are because you're constantly pulled out of the moment?
0: But people do. Why? Why do they?
1: So people don't want to be where they are. This is a newsflash. They, They actually want, they love that state of being jacked up and amped up and moving from thing to thing to thing, because the stillness that we actually need, the silence that we need to return to, these are things that are very frightening for people. And the more that we give people who are not that interested in landing in the moment, they're interested more in staying in a constant state of stimulation. We reset the bar. So this is the new bar that we're constantly stimulated, entertained, uh, got something to focus our attention on. People get very frightened when there isn't an object to focus their attention on. So uh, a bit of inflammation, a person, a something. We get frightened. The human being is not conditioned to sit in open space, to be where they are, to see what's coming in, to notice. These are all the things we learn when we start practicing mindfulness. But the basic human being right now sees the iPhone, the iWatch, all of it, as, listen, this is a more fun way of living. I I never have to deal with myself. I never have to deal with stillness. I never have to deal with open space with not knowing where to go. People say that we're we're becoming unfocused. I would say that we're becoming hyper-focused because we never don't have something we're paying attention to. Yes, we're doing it in very, very short segments, and particularly our children are doing it in shorter and shorter segments. But we're afraid of not having a place to direct our attention.
0: And how would mindfulness help deal with this? Are you saying that someone needs to go out there and find a cushion and purchase it and set up a shrine in their home and sit there every in the lotus position <laughs> for 30 minutes day, every day, day in order to deal with their right. you know addiction to their phone? Or are there some other ways that they can think about it?
1: So obviously not. And we don't even need to own a cushion, we don't even need to meditate, we don't need to do any of those things. What we need to start doing is first of all noticing how we're doing in this the middle of this tsunami of technology. How are we feeling? Most people, if they can sit still for long enough, realize that it's not okay. They're not doing that great being available twenty four seven. They're not doing that great feeling that the only way that they can not check their phone is to lock it in their car and give their partner their keys. They're not feeling that good, feeling anxious all the time, being reachable, being kind of never being where they are, not looking at their kids anymore. The dinner table is now just a plug-in station. You know, they're not doing that well. So first, we just have to become aware of our own experience. And then we have to start very simple. When we get the impulse or the urge to use, we can simply ask a question, Take a pause, maybe 10 seconds, and say, what would I have to feel right in this moment? What's here that I'd have to feel if I didn't use? So we use the impulse to get on rather than as as a way to anesthetize and check out of the present moment. We use it as an opportunity to get to know ourselves better, to get to know this moment better, to be in our lives. You know, we get to the end of our lives, and I've worked with a lot of people, you know, that are towards the end of their lives, either because they're ill or whatever it may be. But you realize that every moment of consciousness is a gift. And when you get that, and we don't want to wait to the end of our lives to get that. When you get that, you stop throwing them away so easily. You stop spending the entire train ride on Candy Crush. You come into the moment and you have a little more interest in, hey, what's arising for me in this moment? What am I feeling? What am I thinking? What's happening in my body? Who am I with? You know, the moment becomes a lot more precious. That's what mindfulness is about is whatever's presenting in this moment. May I take an interest in it? Because what's happening to us, really, Catherine, is that our moments are becoming not enough. Nothing is enough. Nothing is enough. You know, what else? What else? What else? You know, is there more? Is there more? Can I? Can I flush my toilet when I'm in, you know, Amsterdam back in my house? Because I can. I can do that, you know? <laughs> or can I ask Alexa, you know, to play me uh, Jimmy Kimmel's monologue from yesterday? It's like, you know, we're crammed with possibility. But what the overall consequence of that is this moment is never enough. I'm never enough in this moment. My kids are not enough. My husband is not enough. This life is not enough. And that is a recipe for depression. Because it cannot, it's insatiable. So that's where mindfulness comes in to say, whatever it's containing, let me make this moment enough and a place of interest.
0: You know, it's really tempting to ask you if there's an app for that. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But seriously, you know, how to remember to do it when it's really not the habit to do it, right? Like, is there a way to schedule it, remind oneself, you know, I'm, I'm on the train. I'm going to check in with myself. I'm going to think about my day. I'm going to think about something different. I'm not going to play Candy Crush.
1: Yeah. So listen, here's the thing. I'm all for, there are all these apps like Calm, like, you know, Moment, millions of them. And if you're going to use technology, why not use it to schedule a meditation, schedule 10 minutes of breathing or schedule a notification from Calm that says take a deep breath, you know, I'm not against using it in that way. But ultimately, we have to wake up. You know, people always say to me, what, what should I do? What should I do? Well, how can I do this? It's not easy. Guess what? It's not easy. But nothing that's easy really delivers too much. So part of what's happening to our consciousness is that we're expecting easy. We're expecting easy and immediate and all the juicy stuff in life takes hard work and takes time. There's just no way to get around that. So what we start to do is, yeah, we use the apps. That's a great way of, of starting the process. But we have to become more awake in our own lives. So we're more conscious of, hey, I'm checking out. Do I want to make that decision? We become more mindful of the choices we're making with our two greatest gifts, which are our attention and our energy. Where do we want to put those? Those are our greatest gifts. So we just have to start to do some of that hard work to retrain the habit. We didn't get here overnight, We've gotten out of the gate with technology with some really bad habits. We have to untrain those like we would any bad habit. It comes down to, can I wake up in the moment and not just act impulsively or addictively? Because ultimately, I want a deeper experience of life. I want more connected relationships. I want the people in my life to have my full attention and I want their full attention.
0: You're listening to Dialogue on Divorce on WVOX 1460 AM and also on a podcast. And today we're talking to Nancy Collier about the impact of technology on relationships. And Nancy, if people are interested in learning more about your book, The Power of Off, or more about you, how can they contact you or get a copy of the book?
1: The book is available everywhere books are sold. So, Amazon, your local bookstore. And my website is nancycollier.com with one L C O L I E R, And all the information is there. And I also blog for Psychology Today or health posts. Lots is available out there.
0: How would you recommend, Nancy Collier, to talk to other people about technology? Like if I'm going to go out to dinner on a date with my husband and I say, I'm thinking, you know, I had this great interview today. I think it would be great if we didn't use our phones. You know, sometimes that conversation sounds like a criticism, not like a suggestion. Do you have any suggestion about how to talk about it with someone else? Sure.
1: Uh, Very much so. So What I suggest, right, is first of all, honesty. So honesty generally starts with the letter and the word I, right? So I feel my longing is to spend more connected time together. My longing is to have each other's full attention I feel really good when we do things and neither one of us are on our phones. We talk about what works, what we're longing for, what we really want, and we let that lead the conversation. And it would mean very much to me, you know, if we scheduled maybe an hour, even a day, or maybe a half an hour a day, where both of us are off our devices, we're just off them, or it might mean a lot to me, we could try it and see if we made our bedroom kind of No tech zone. Um, This time that we spend together feels really important to me. And I want to open a dialogue where we start looking at how we're going to maybe create a different environment that's tech free for us as a couple.
0: I think that's really hard to do. In what sense? I think that for a lot of people, the idea of sort of unplugging in that way and really being present with yourself, as you were talking about earlier, and another person without the interruption of technology sounds you know really like a challenge in 2017. I think you're
1: right. I think you're absolutely right. And I would say what people are craving and longing for and talking about so much is that kind of full presence. That is the full presence that Actually, makes one feel fulfilled and nourished in their lives. So we can't you and I, by suggesting this today, are not going to sway anyone who doesn't know the direct experience of full presence, right? It's just not going to happen. The way people generally enter this is from some form of suffering or loneliness within the relationship. So I had a couple in here the other day, and she was talking about how. He's on his phone all the time, even when they're watching their one activity that they like to do together. It's a different couple is to watch the show, particular show that they share. And that even on during that time, he has to have these sneaker alerts coming in, you know, where you find out the the next sneaker kind of bargain, what have you. So in trying not to, you know, break out into laughter, I I would say, (laughs) um, because the level of distraction at this point, you know, what they're doing is watching something. He's he's got the sneaker alerts coming in, so on, and she's posting, you know, selfies of herself with her boyfriend watching the show. To the level of sort of distance that we are from the present moment, catastrophic. But what the point being is that we, in those moments, we have to feel something is not working. So she felt lonely in the relationship. She felt in this one show we watched together, we can't even do that together. And so she felt that it was almost as if he was cheating on her with his phone. So that's what brought them in. So it has to go one way or the other. I had a young man in here the other day who said, I don't know how to talk to girls because I just know how to text with them. I don't know how to ask the girl out. I actually don't know how to sit across the table from someone and go to a coffee. I literally don't know how to do that.
0: I Even think that's that's really endemic in uh, with the social media and uh, dating and the way that dates get set up. Anyway, we're out of time. Thank you so much, Nancy Collier, for being My our pleasure. guest on dialogue on divorce. It's been great to have you back.
1: My pleasure.